Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. This morning, and this morning we really begin the, the last leg of our journey through Ephesians, which is about spiritual warfare. And if you remember when we introduced Ephesians, we talked about the different divisions within the book. So, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, it's all about our, our wealth, um, our, the spiritual riches that we have in and Christ, okay, that's chapters 1 through 3, okay, and then from the beginning of chapter 4, really through chapter 6 and verse 9, that's about our walk, it's about the living out of the, the Christian life. So, chapters 1 through 3, our wealth, chapter 4 through 6, 9, our walk, and then really from 6, 10 through the end of the book, it's about our warfare. It's about the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in as believers. So we're going to talk this morning about some principles of spiritual warfare as we begin this last section of Ephesians. So let's look this morning at three verses, verses 10 through 12, as the Apostle Paul is, is moving into this section of the book. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly places. Let's pray. Father, we pray for strength in the battle that we face. We pray that you would show us the, the reality of spiritual warfare, the reality of our supernatural enemy, that we might be prepared for that, equipped for that. But more than that, we, we pray that you would show us your strength today that we would understand you haven't really called us to win the battle because you've already won it. We're called to stand in the victory that Christ has already won. And so show us your grace and your power over the enemy and how we can stand strong for you in, in your strength, not in our own abilities or resources, but in yours. Speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, I was, uh, we, we were living in Newport News, and I was going running on a, a trail up there, and I was driving to the, the trail and stopped at a light, and I couldn't help but notice the car in front of me because bumper stickers were plastered all over the back of this car. I mean, obvi I mean such, so many bumper stickers, it was obvious the person wanted everybody to know, this is what I'm into. Okay? And what they were into clearly was the occult. I mean, all the bumper stickers were about 
you know, Wiccan practices, occultic uh, practices and so forth. And, I mean, it was kind of jarring, you know, to see that all, all over the back of a car. But, you know, didn't think about it, went onto the trail. And um, I was running five miles uh, that day. And so put my, I had my, you know, my phone and earbuds and everything and uh, put on the earbuds. And I, I, I ran about uh, two miles and was really cruising at that point. And, and suddenly my uh, legs just began to feel like tree trunks. Just began to feel like I was dragging around a heavy ball and chain to the point that I stopped running, started walking. And then I did something that I would typically never do on a run. I took out the earbuds for some reason. And when I did, I heard uh, drumming, like sinister, ominous-sounding drumming, and that was followed by chanting and I was at a portion of the trail that had a clearing to my left just at that moment. And I, that's where the sound was coming from. So I, I turned that way and I saw some cars parked there in the field. And the first car that I saw was the car that I'd been behind at the light. And there were probably 50 to 75 tents in, pitched in the field. And they had occultic symbols on the tents. And obviously this was a gathering of people who were into demonic power. I'm like, Lord, obviously you stopped me here for a reason. <laughs> what, is, what is the purpose here? And I really became convicted that God wanted me to pray. And he, wanted me, he'd, he stopped me for that reason, got me to take out the earbuds so that I could hear what was going on. Typically, I would not have even turned to my left uh, to see those people. Um, and I really felt persuaded God wanted me to, to pray for those people that were in the grip of demonic power and to pray against the demonic uh, forces that were that were there, but you know, in a way, maybe all of us need to take out our earbuds <laughs> and understand that we are involved in spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual warfare um, that's that's going on, and, and and Paul tells us about it here in these verses. Let's look at them again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In Ken Burns' masterful documentary on World War II, The War, he sort of pulls back at points in that documentary and, and shows the, the huge strategic decisions that were impacting the war, the, uh, the movement of, of forces, the decisions that were made at a very high level. But then he, he zooms in and he has these captivating interviews with people who were actually on the ground doing the fighting that were in the, the battle. And that's kind of what Paul does in this text. He, 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 he has sort of a wide-angle lens in which he steps back and he shows that there's a cosmic war that's going on, of cosmic proportions in the, the heavenly places. But then he takes a zoom lens and he comes in and he shows that each one of us is personally involved in this war. And, and you see that in, uh, in verse 12, 
when he says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, and in other words, against other people. Other people are not the enemy, ultimately. They can be used by the enemy, but the other people are ultimately not, not the enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities. He talks about this hierarchy of demonic power. That word wrestle that he uses here, we do not wrestle against. The word in Greek, is the, it's the word that they would use for hand-to-hand combat. This is a, this is a, we're personally engaged in spiritual warfare. Are you aware of this? Are you aware of the reality of your supernatural enemy? Some years ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, I'm certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We are ignorant of the existence of the adversary and his fiery darts. So let's begin by talking this morning about the reality of the enemy. In the introduction to his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, which are a series of letters written from one demon to another who are manipulating and scheming and, and trying to, uh, to, to trip up and, and destroy a young man. C.S. Lewis, in, this, in the introduction to this classic uh, book about spiritual warfare, he says this. Lewis says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and an unhealthy interest in them. And I would say there's actually a third category. And that is, and I think a lot of Christians like us fall into this category, and that is that we believe in the existence of the devil, but we tend to forget about it on a daily basis. We, we kind of we kind of forget that we are involved in spiritual warfare, and so therefore we let down our guard. We're not as alert as we should be. We need to be alert to the presence of the enemy. Um, we need to know something about him. The Bible says that uh, he is intelligent and cunning. You see that in, in verse 11. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, and that word can be translated as tactics. So he, um, he has studied us. He's strategic in his thinking. He's tactical in his approach. He tailors his approach according to the, the victim. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't usually come on like the caricature that you see of Satan. I mean, we see these cartoonish figures, you know, of a uh, you know, uh, the, the, red, the red figure, you know, with the pitchfork and, you know, horns and all of that. And, you know, it's, it's almost laughable. But, but the Bible says something very different. It, it says in 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. His approach is not to, uh, to overtly uh, come on as this, um, this, this hostile figure that people would run from. His approach from the Garden of Eden all the way to now is to present himself, 
attractively. Um, you remember as he, he sort of sets up Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, he doesn't come on as sort of a sinister figure. He comes on sort of as an attractive, harmless figure. His words seem you know, relatively harmless, but it's all a setup. And then there's the sting. And the trap closes, which is how he works in lives today. He, he, he lures us, you know, with temptation into a trap, and then the trap shuts, and lives are destroyed. Where and when are you most vulnerable to him? What are your weaknesses? We all have them. We all have them. What are yours? Do you know them? Do you know when and where you're most vulnerable to satanic attack? Do you know what your weaknesses are? We need to know these things because it's part of being alert and watchful. Peter tells us in, uh, in 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour some years ago, I was, um, I was, when I was pastoring on the peninsula, the man in our congregation named Ray Abisher, a gentle, sweet, servant-hearted man, he would take copies of my sermons to, to shut-ins in the nursing homes each week, and he didn't like to talk about his military service, but I was reading St- historian Stephen Ambrose's book on D-Day, and there was Ray, this man in my congregation. He was one of the first American paratroopers to land in Nazi occupied France the night before D-Day. He was one of the, one of the band of brothers, one of those paratroopers that, uh, that went in under the, the cover of, of night and, and, and Ray landed in the French town of St. Miraglis. Now can you imagine what the, the, the state of alertness must have been for these American paratroopers that they're landing in enemy-occupied territory in the pitch darkness of night? That's how our alertness should be because we're doing life in the midst of this present darkness, in the midst of a, of a fallen world with a supernatural adversary who seeks to devour us. We're to be alert. We're to be a watchful because he's intelligent and cunning. The Bible also says that he's powerful in verse 12. Look at, look at the language that Paul uses here to... Uh, to describe demonic power. He uses the term rulers, authorities, powers, forces. Okay, this is, the, this is the language of power. Now, some people believe that Paul here is talking about earthly, like evil earthly political rulers, uh, evil political authorities. It's certainly true that Satan can, can use evil earthly rulers at times. That's probably not what he's talking about here. Most scholars believe that he's, he's talking here about demons. He's talking here about sort of a hierarchy of, of demonic power that is driving the evil that takes place in this world. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of of the evil one. Now John here is not saying that God's creation is evil in and of itself, that the, you know, the, uh, the, the earth itself is evil. That's not what he's saying. 
when John uses the term world, he's talking about people that, uh, that uh, are under the grip of the evil one. He's talking about the, the fallen world that is, that, is, that is against God, that is, that is under the, the power of Satan. And here's the thing. If we haven't submitted to Christ and we're not under His power and authority, then whether we understand it or not, we're really serving the evil one. And, and this is not the way that most people think. I mean, most people think of themselves as sort of uh, maybe free agents. But in reality, they're being conformed. They're being molded. They're being, they're being driven by, by deeper forces, dark forces that they don't even understand. They're being conformed to the pattern of this, this fallen world. Um, and in that sense, enslaved. In the film The Matrix, um, the basic plot of the film is that the, uh, people on earth believe that they are free, but in reality they're being in, dominated and enslaved by these machines, all except for a, a small band of rebels that, that know the truth um, and that are fighting for their freedom. And, you know, in, in a way that's sort of a picture uh, of... of what it's like in this fallen world because, because most of the world really is, is under the sway, being conformed, being manipulated, being driven by these, um, these dark forces. And as believers, we know the truth. And the truth has set us free. Christ. And so in John 8.36, the Bible says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. So now we go to Jesus. We see the reality of the enemy. Let's look at the reign of the Lord. Because as powerful as our enemy is, it is so important that we understand He does not reign. God reigns. God is on the throne. And so while we want to be aware of the reality of our enemy and that he does have a degree of power, we don't want to overestimate his power either. R.C. Sproul says this, if Satan can't get you to ignore him by denying his very existence, he will cunningly lead you to attribute power to him far beyond what he actually possesses. He is limited in his power. First of all, because... He's merely a created being. Satan is merely a created being. The Bible says that the, that the devil, demons, are fallen angels. Uh, they are uh, angels that engaged in a rebellion against God. They are now uh, fallen. But they're created. They're merely created beings. Christ reigns because Christ is the creator. Satan, demons... These are not uh, um, uh, infinite beings. Christ is. So Colossians 1 tells us about the, the reign of Christ over uh, these powers. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things were created through him and for him. You remember in Exodus when God tells Aaron to, to throw down a staff and it becomes a snake. And then the, the Egyptian magicians who were using demonic power, they threw down their staffs and their staffs became snakes. But what happened? Aaron's, Aaron's staff, Aaron's snake uh, swallowed up every other snake. So the point is that both God and Satan have power, it's just that God has a lot more infinitely more because satan is merely a, a created being christ has already defeated him as we'll talk more about in just a few moments and he will one day destroy him and that's what first corinthians 15 is all about it says then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to god the father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Let's talk more about the, the defeat of the enemy. Satan has already been defeated. In a sense, the war that's going on now is really a mop-up operation on God's part. Because Satan has already been defeated. Nevertheless, he, he, he fights uh, as one who, who knows that his doom is, is sealed. I mean, in World War II, after D-Day, it was clear that Hitler was going to lose the war. That didn't make him fight any less ferociously. It became even more vicious at that point. And that's kind of the situation today. But we need to understand that... Um, that, that Christ has already defeated him, not once in this passage are we told to win the battle. We're told to stand in the victory that has already been won by Christ. It was won by Christ at the cross and at the empty tomb. So, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. We are united with Christ in His resurrection. God made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now to really understand what, what Paul is saying here, we need to understand that Satan is an accuser. It's really what the word uh, devil uh, means. It means accuser. And what happened at the cross is that Jesus robbed him of his ability to accuse Christians. He can't do it anymore. Every accusation that Satan hurls against a believer falls to the ground. Why? Because Jesus obeyed the law perfectly in our place. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live. And Jesus took our sin debt upon Himself, that record of debt 
of sin debt that was just crushing us, that we could never pay, Christ paid it all. And so now what's happened is we've exchanged records. Jesus on the cross took our record of sin, our, our, our sin debt. He took our record and He's given us His record of perfect righteousness. It's what we sang earlier in our service, that song, The Solid Rock. Dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Because we're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And so now, when the devil hurls accusations against us, they fall right to the ground. Because we're clothed in Christ's righteousness. So important to understand that. Now, in the Old Testament, Zechariah 3 gives us a beautiful, beautiful um, witness to this. It says in Zechariah 3, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. See, we are those brands that have been plucked from the fire. And God has removed our filthy garments, and He's clothed us with the perfect righteousness of, of our Savior. So when God sees you, He sees His Son because you're united to His Son. And so all of the enemy's accusations just fall to the ground. Uh, parents, grandparents, there's a children's book by R.C. Sproul called The Priest with Dirty Clothes. And it's based on this passage in Zechariah 3. It was a great help to Melissa and I and in, in helping our kids understand the gospel, helping them understand uh, who they are in Christ, you know, that, that, uh, that they're clothed in the, the righteousness of, of Christ. I heard a story once about um, a woman who came up to a pastor after a service, and she said, you know, I'm dealing with this sin it happened years ago, and I, yeah, I just still feel horrible about it. I feel so guilty about it. Um, and he said to her, he said, well, you know, have, you, have you trusted in Christ, your Savior? She said, yes. He said, yeah, have you confessed your sin to God? She said, oh, yes, many times. He said, well, you need to pray again, and this time you need to ask God to forgive you of something else. She said, what's that? He said, your arrogance. Arrogance. I, I'm, 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 I, that's not my problem. I feel terrible about, about what I, I, I did. Um, he said, no, you need to ask God to forgive you for your arrogance, for believing in your feelings rather than the fact of what God has already said about you. If you're in Christ, you, you, the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been credited to your account you're clothed in His righteousness. You are a child of God. 
forgiven and free. God is for you, not against you. You've been adopted as His own son or daughter. Now live in that. Rejoice in that. Rest in that. Live free in Christ. And so, at the cross, Jesus won the victory. And then, at the empty tomb, what He did for us, and his, all of His claims, His identity as our sin-bearing Savior, and as the Son of God, was vindicated by His resurrection. And so Paul says in, in Romans 1, that Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 1, as we saw, says that we're to, live and we're to know the, the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet. The reign of the Lord. Our enemy has already been defeated. So, we see the reality of the enemy, the reign of the Lord. And then third, the responsibility of believers. So Christ has won the victory. It's done. Do we have, is there anything for us to do? Do we have any responsibility? Yes. A couple of things. First of all, look to Jesus for strength. Look to Jesus for strength. So we see in verse 10, finally, be strong in what? In your own resources? In your strength? Your abilities? No, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. This tells us where to look for strength, to whom to look for strength. Not to yourself. Don't look to your own um, your own intellectual abilities. Don't look to your own experiences, how long you've been a Christian, on and on. Your own resources, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I mean, the language here just shows the security that we have in Him. Be strong in Him. And then he reiterates it again, in the strength of His might. It's like Paul said, I want you to get this. It's not in your strength. It's in His. Look to Jesus. Don't look to your, your own strength, your own abilities, your own resources Look to Jesus. It takes humility, which is why it's hard for us because in our sin nature, we're so prideful. We are. I mean, whether we understand it or not, I mean, we are, we are hardwired for pride. It is, it is not our default mode to do life leaning upon God. It's not. Our default mode is to rely upon ourselves, to look to ourselves, our own strength. It's not natural for us to live our lives moment by moment leaning upon God. 
leaning upon him like a little child does upon their parent. But that's how we have to learn to live. Okay, we have to unlearn. We have to unlearn some things in the Christian life, right? One of the things we have to unlearn is, is self-reliance and, and, and live life depending upon God, looking to Jesus moment by moment for strength. It's the only way we can stand. And then second, put on the armor of God. He says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. A few years ago, there was a scandal because our troops in Iraq at that point uh, didn't have enough armor. They didn't have the kind of armor that they needed for the, the improvised explosive devices and things that they were dealing with. It's not a problem with God's armor. Not a problem. There's not a problem with the, the quality of the armor that He's provided. There's not a problem with the quantity of armor that He's provided. There's not a problem with the accessibility of the armor. But it is our responsibility to do what? Put it on. Put it on. Now next time, we're going to talk about the armor piece by piece, and we're going to talk about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the the shield of, uh, of faith and the shoes of readiness and the sword of the Spirit and the helmet of salvation. But the idea here is not that we sort of have to pray the armor on piece by piece. I mean, that's fine if you're you know, reading through and, and, and praying through this passage. It's, it's fine to do that. But the, the point is not, well, you know, oh, I don't want to forget this piece of armor or whatever. No, because the point is, if you are clothed with Christ and you're walking closely with Christ, you're going to have everything that you need. Everything that you need is in Him. This is why, I mean, we don't have to, we're not to live life of fearing, fearing Satan. No, we're to fear God. We're to have a healthy reverence for God um, and fear Him and, and, and trust in His Son, put on Christ and stay close to Christ. Be strong in Him. When you do that, you have all the protection, all the provisions, everything that you need to live for Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the accomplishment of our Savior that our enemy has already been defeated at the cross and the empty tomb. We thank you for the finished work of Christ on our behalf, that those who have trusted in Jesus have the perfect record of Jesus credited to our account. We thank you for that sweet exchange that Jesus took our sin, he took our record of sin and, and gave us his perfect record of righteousness so that every accusation of the slanderer, the accuser, just falls to the ground. Lord, we thank you that we can live free for that reason in Christ, forgiven and free, adopted as your very own beloved sons and daughters, that you've taken all of our iniquities, all of our trespasses, past, present, and future, under the blood of Christ, 
that we can live all of life under the banner, it is finished. And we thank you that we don't have to live in, in, in fear of the, the devil because we're, we're in you. Help us to be alert. Help us to be aware. Help us to, to, um, to be watchful as your word uh, commands, but help us to understand that when we put on Christ and we're staying close to Christ, that we are protected. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray for anyone here who has not yet put on Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray that you would open the eyes of their mind and heart to see Jesus and trust him and to see his great love for them. And that they would turn to Jesus and trust in him alone. We pray that you would help all of us to, to walk closely with you. You help us to unlearn self-reliance, looking to our own strength, and learn to rely upon you. Look to Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and to put on the full armor of God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and God's speaking to you about a relationship with Christ, maybe you've got questions, maybe you want to know more, maybe you want someone to pray with, in just a moment we're going to stand and sing. We don't want you to leave here uh, without being prayed for. If God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family, um, we invite you to come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. 
we're on this journey together.